Yeah, would you keep that going and just let us welcome and wish a happy new year to Hillsboro, Wake Forest, Garner Campus, Sanford Campus, Cola down in the capital of South Carolina, online, all of you online, come on, the Durham Campus, welcome, 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 and the New Hope Kenya Campus and the Hope Center, I come bringing you good news today that the 18 sojourners who uh, hiked up Mount Kenya, the second highest mountain in Kenya, 100% of them made it to the summit at about 5.45 a.m., got there in time to watch a gorgeous sunrise, and uh, we had a graduation for the girls that we have rescued out of sex trafficking, modern-day slavery. Uh, they were all dressed up in beautiful Kenyan garb, and, and we, it, it was just a glorious graduation. We had a ribbon-cutting ceremony for the Hope Center that you and I are getting to build together. I can't say groundbreaking, because we've already broke ground on it. it it's coming up. And uh, just so excited. Can we just celebrate the 18 folks that went on our behalf and did such a feat? I also want to say, and I announced this last week, but I know some of you weren't here. I also just want to let you know that, um, and I'm not, I'm not saying this to celebrate these numbers, though we know every number has a name. I'm saying this to thank some people today. I didn't do this last week, and I want to make sure I look into the, to the campuses and thank folks. We had over 10,100 people at our Christmas services. Um, we had 354 who gave their lives to Christ but, and I know that's worth celebrating, and I can hear you, and I know you want to clap, but, but I want to thank some people today. I want to thank every single New Hoper who rolled up their sleeve and worked tirelessly to help us pull off 27 worship celebrations on behalf of Christ, yes, on behalf of Christ and his church and his expanding kingdom, those world changers. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And as I share those things, you know, like young girls being rescued or Hope Center or Christmas, you know, 354 people giving their lives to Christ, and I hope, I hope you sense something stirring inside of you. And, and I hope that you sense that God is in our midst doing a great work. And I hope you sense, and I just want to remind you over and over and over again, to God and God alone be the glory. To God and God alone be the glory. But he's, listen, this stuff is not normal, and he's moving in our midst, and we should praise his name and celebrate who he is and beg him to keep moving amongst us as a people called New hope. Can I get an amen? It is God, and we're so excited. And, and that, that leads me to say, I really believe, um, I really believe that this next series is is one that God has ordained, and I really believe God is going to use it powerfully in our midst. And I can already tell. I mean, look around us. Engagement is going to be really, really high in this series. Uh, I want to thank two people as I get into this. I've done a lot of reading and a lot of studying. I really want this series to help you. Really, really, really. And I want you to know that I'm not like an anxiety expert. 
uh, except that I've had anxiety in my life before. So maybe that does make me an expert, but I'm not a, a, a doctor or a PhD when it comes to anxiety, but I've read a lot and I've studied a lot. And I just want this to really help us. I'm not up here to entertain. I'm not up here to, to do anything other than unpack the word of God and hopefully help us live differently, to be in an anxious world but not be consumed with anxiety. And two people have really helped me with this. One is my friend Max Lucado, and I, I'm sorry if that sounds like I'm dropping names. I don't mean to. He's the most prolific writer in America. I've just had the awesome opportunity to get to know him and, and be with him. And he, he's done quite a bit of work on anxiety. And the other one is Ashley Woolridge, who is a dear, dear friend of mine. He's in my tribe. And uh, I, he's just an amazing uh, leader, thinker, and done some incredible work on the topic of anxiety. And I like to always just thank those who have helped me along the way. I always stand on the shoulders of folks who, who've gone before me. The reason the engagement level is so high for this series is because anxiety is so high in our culture. I don't know if you realize this or not, but anxiety is the number one health issue amongst women. Women, is it true? It's true. Anxiety is the number two health issue amongst men. Now, I have a theory, a little side note. I think it's probably number one for men, too. But we just like to try to act all cool with our ego and let people know we're not worrying about anything. When you, ladies, you just need to know we worry, too. It's, it's the number two health issue for men, only behind drugs and alcohol. Um, I don't know what that's going on over there, but I... <laughs> Latest statistics say that 40 million adults and growing, 40 million adults and growing admit to struggling with anxiety. We spend over $48 billion treating anxiety in our society. If you have kids or teenagers, know this, that demographic is seeing the sharpest rise in anxiety. It's hard to be a young person today. It's really hard. And, and you might think, you know, we had it hard. And, you know, I, I do that with my kids too. Like, you don't know what hard is, man. Let me tell you, we walked two miles to school uphill in the snow both ways. And, and they're like, Dad, I don't think you can do that. Um, but but <laughs> we, tend to, we tend to think that it was harder. But it, it's hard to be a kid Today, many psychologists, check this out, estimate that the average high school student today, listen parents, has the same level of anxiety as the average psychiatric patient in the early 1950s. I know. Look at this recent study from Pew Research, anxiety and depression, top list of problems teens see among their peers. I'm gonna zoom in a little bit more so you can see it a little bit better. Anxiety and depression is at the top of the latter, if you will, at 70%, followed by bullying, drug addiction, drinking alcohol, poverty, teen pregnancy, and gangs. At the top for our kids and teenagers is this sense that anxiety is taking over their lives. But it's not just teens, as you know, it's all of us, all of society, it's an epidemic, is wrestling with this topic of anxiety. Question, not a trick question. What do you think is the country that has the highest rates of anxiety? No, it's not Switzerland. America. 
It's America, the highest. In America, in these united, I mean divided states of America, we are winning at worry. We're taking the gold medal in anxiety. Did you know that when people move to America, they think they're coming to the promised land, and I love America. I don't think there's no country on the planet like America, but they think they're coming to the promised land, but what they're blown away by is when they get caught up in this Western world and this American pace, their anxiety rates skyrocket. What do we have to be so anxious about in America? Our cars are safer than they've ever been. Medical care has never been so good. People are living longer. Our streets are safer. And hey, we wouldn't even think of letting our kids ride a bicycle without a helmet. Come on, come on. How many of you are like me? You never even knew a helmet existed when you were a kid. A helmet? What? Why would I put a helmet on? That's, that's like foolish. Like, um, and, and so I'll never forget the first time, you know, I, I, it was when I came to Duke, actually, uh, when I came to Duke and I was riding my bike to school every day from my apartment that I realized I better get a helmet. Uh, like seatbelts, seatbelts. Like we freak out if our kids aren't in our seatbelts. <laughs> we had a car in Sumter, South Carolina in 1982 that did not have a seatbelt. You know what our seatbelt was? You know what our seatbelt was? <laughs> Everybody here is going, my mama would slam on, bam! <laughs> Come on, that was your seatbelt. Like, and my dad, he wouldn't even do that. He'd be like, suck, suck it up. Like football, like I love to coach. I, I, my kids play football. Like, like this, all this concussion stuff. Concussions? What was a Concussion? You got your bell rung when I grew up. My dad would slap you upside your helmet and say, get your butt back in there. Like we are safer than we've ever been before. And yet our anxiety levels are higher than they've ever been. What is up with that? Well, well let, me, let me try to give you some theories. I have some theories and they're not exhaustive by any means. And you might tweak some of these or disagree. These are just my theories. This is not Bible. This is just Benji. Possible reasons why anxiety has spiked in America. Not going to go off on this. Not going to preach a message on it. But this is a separate sermon in and of itself. Here we go. Notice the correlation between America's attempt. Notice I say attempt. Because you can't, you can't remove God. You can try to remove God all you want. And we've, we've tried that in schools. Notice the correlation between the America's attempt at removing God more and more from our country and the undeniable spike in America. I don't think that's a coincidence. Number two, we are less socially connected than ever. We are less socially connected than ever. In many ways, we, you, me, come on, let's just own our stuff. We've replaced real relationships with technology. In the 1950s and the 60s and the 70s, people did life together much more than they do today. Today, we sit on our phones and Netflix. A decrease in real relationships, listen, listen. A decrease in real relationships increases anxiety. 
God designed you for life with others. That is why I will never stop challenging you to get involved in a life group. I know you've heard it at all of our campuses, but I will never stop challenging you to get involved in Rooted and then let your Rooted group become a life group. We were meant for relationships. Go sign up today. Being in community with people will bring down your anxiety. Number three, this is huge. This is also related to social media. We are more aware of what others have. The comparison trap will cause your anxiety to spike. I just want to say for the record, it just blesses me to see so many of you taking notes. If you won't take notes on a series like this, I can't imagine what series would ever get you to take notes. We are more aware of what others have. All studies are showing the more social media you engage, the higher your anxiety levels which is why I'm about done with social media. If you've been following me for many years, you notice I, I don't tweet nearly as much as I used to. I don't, I don't get on Facebook. I'm not anti, but I wanna, I wanna steward over my soul. And, and when we're always on Facebook or we're always on Instagram or we're always on Twitter, we're always reading people's highlight reels and as we read their highlight reels, we compare our lives with their highlight reel or all that they have or their exotic vacations all over the place. And then before we know it, we start feeling like a big loser. Be real careful. I'm taking more of that mess, <laughs> that mess off my phone. And I'm starting to put more motivational stuff Bible reading plans, devotional reading plans, stuff, because I, I mean, the phone is good, but it can also be terrible. How, how are you going to use it? How, how are you going to steward over that? We are more aware of what others have. I got to keep moving. Got a lot of, lot of content today. Number four, we are more aware of global and local tragedies than ever before. Now, here's what I mean by that. If you saw last week, um, Iran started attacking the U.S. Embassy. I'm sure you saw that. In the last couple of days, America went in and killed one of their highest-ranking military leaders who has, who, have slaughtered, who has slaughtered like thousands of Americans. He's, he's a violent, brutal guy. In previous generations, we would have never heard about that yet. If we would have ever heard about that, all of this instantaneous online forms of communication causes us to be aware of global and local tragedies. And here's the key point. Our brains and our hearts were never intended to receive so much bad news so rapidly. The speed, listen, listen, the speed at which we are receiving information these days is outpacing our ability to process it. So be very careful. You have to take control of that. I believe in being informed. You know that. I believe in not having our heads dialed into the culture and all that. But what I'm trying to do, and again, I'm not the anxiety expert. I've actually had some struggles with this stuff. 
But what I'm trying to do is limit my intake and keep it confined to a certain period of time every day as opposed to being inundated 24-7 with all of the bad news. You can't take it. Turn, since you are, some of you are taking notes, write this down. This, this is key. <laughs> Turn off your notifications. I'm like, what you talking about? I ain't turning off anything. All right. Seriously, turn it off. I, I got a few notifications. Again, I'm not, I, 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 man, I'm in this with you. I'm just, trying to, I'm just trying to tell you some things I've done. The only notifications I have on my phone that, that go off, and I don't even know if you consider this a notification. I guess you would. The text notification, phone call notification. I don't even have email notification on. Everything else, I decide when I look at it. You, you got to take control of your life. You have to control these things. Now, you put all of that together, those four reasons that, that I just said and so many of you wrote down. Here, here, if you put them all together, here, here's what I'm trying to say. Without God, with God trying to be removed from everything, and the fact that most folks are not connected relationally, therefore being alone, while comparing ourselves to others, and at the same time trying to process tragedy after tragedy after tragedy, all of that is a tried and true recipe for all of us struggling with more and more and more anxiety. So we're talking about anxiety. We're just kind of throwing it around on the front end. Let's unpack what it is. What is anxiety? There's a difference between fear and anxiety, right? There's a difference. Fear is you're walking in the woods and you almost step on a rattlesnake. You run, right? If you're anything like me, <laughs> you run straight to the gun case. You get the gun case. You send the snake to snake heaven. You can disagree with me, but I, anybody else? I, I am, I have, I freak out over snakes, dude. I, and, 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 the, and the holy people go, well, well black snakes are good. Black, 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 black snakes eat your rats. No, black snakes need to die too. Because I can't tell the difference. <laughs> so I'm sorry if, 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 if you're with PETA and you don't like that. But, I, like, but, 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 but that's a fear. That's a fear. Now follow me here. That's a healthy fear. God gives us this, this fight or flight defense mechanism that we had. I know you all studied that in sociology. Now, when it becomes anxiety, is if you're like, well, you know what? I'm never, ever, ever going to walk in the grass or the woods because there might be a snake there. We, we laugh, but that's what some of us do. Another fear might be that turns into anxiety. I'm never, ever, ever going to bring my kids to church for the first five years of their life because they might get sick from all the other kids. <laughs> that is anxiety. That's not a healthy fear. What is anxiety? It's, it's often been described as a meter shower of what ifs, a meteor shower of what ifs. Anxiety imagines a threat and then it can't move on from it. Fear acknowledges a threat, gets away from it, but then lives in a place of peace. Anxiety imagines the worst 
and puts your mind and your body into a constant fight or flight situation. Anxiety will put you into a constant state of what ifs. What if I get sick? What if the kids get sick? What if the stock market crashes? What if I, listen single people, what if I never get married? What if I lose my marriage? What if terrorist attacks? What if this plane crashes? What if I'm a bad parent? What if I lose my job? What if my kids' teeth are crooked? <gasps> what if we can't afford braces? What if I never get a job? What if I end up homeless? What if I never have grandkids? That is no way to live. God does not want you to live like that. And some of you are anxious right now because I'm talking about all of this. <laughs> so everybody take a deep breath. Inhale, inhale. Exhale. Like, moment of confession. Again, like I'm right here with you on, on some of this stuff. Um, I have found myself the last few weeks incredibly anxious about trying to teach you a sermon series on anxiety. <laughs> I think it's because I know the topic is so big and it's so relevant and I just wanna help. I just wanna help us live in this world the way God intends for us to live in it. If you struggle with anxiety, listen, listen, listen. Christians have gotten this way off in the past. This is so important, please hear this. If you struggle with anxiety, that does not make you a bad person. That makes you human. Secondly, if you struggle with anxiety, as Christians, we've often called that taboo and you're bad if you struggle and don't you dare think about going and getting help because listen, God is able. And then we throw around all these cheesy, ridiculous, idiotic, Christianese sayings. If, if, if you struggle with this and it is, and it is bad, there is no, there's nothing wrong with getting help. There's nothing wrong with going to therapy. I've been to therapy <laughs> many times. <laughs> I mean, I'm jacked up. You know that. <laughs> Seriously, dude. That's why a lot of you come to this church because you look at me and I know you're clapping in a complimentary way. Thank you. But many, <laughs> many people come to this church. I think they come to this church because they look at me and they see how jacked up I am and they leave feeling better about themselves. It's awesome. <laughs> but thank you. Thank you for the love. Listen, there, there's no shame. This is a, a judgment-free zone. You need therapy, go to therapy. Find you a good therapist. I always make sure they're a rock-solid Christian therapist. If you need medication, there's no shame. It's okay. Again, the church has done a terrible job at teaching this stuff in the past. If you need medication, be careful. I always say to be careful. Be very careful with what they prescribe and what you take. But there are times when that just might be what you need. Y'all ready for the word? Come on. I said, are y'all ready for the word? 
You're going to love this word. Open up your Bibles to Philippians. Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. The most highlighted verse in Scripture. You might think it's John 3.16, and it might be, but, but my studying tells me that, that the one in this day and age, particularly this day and age, because anxiety is at, at, a, at a sky high rate, the, the most highlighted verse of Scripture these days is Philippians 4.6. Out loud, really strong. Ready? Go. Be anxious for nothing. One more time, all of our campuses. Ready? Go. Be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for for nothing. To which if you're anything like me, you're like, Paul, what is your problem, dude? You, might, you should have said, be anxious less. What are you talking about? Be anxious for nothing. Paul says nothing. Is that really what he meant for your entire life, that you are to never have anxiety? No, 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 no. The, 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 the phrase, be anxious for nothing, if you study the Greek language, and the Greek language is a beautiful, beautiful language. If you study the Greek language, what you find is different tenses, just like in the English language, but in the Greek, there is what they call a present active tense. If you got your Bibles, you might want to circle that, be anxious for nothing, and write this in the margins. It's a present active tense. And what Paul is saying is, Whatever you do, make sure you don't find yourself in a present, active, perpetual state of anxiety. The command is not, don't ever be anxious. The command is, don't live in a perpetual state of anxiety. Even Jesus experienced anxiety. That should help you, by the way. Remember the Garden of Gethsemane? down on his knees, a true medical condition where he was so stressed and anxious about going to the cross that he sweated drops of blood. Father, would you please take this cup from me? Yet not my will, but what? Thy will be done. Even Jesus experienced it. Again, my, my friend Max Lucado, he said this great quote. He said this. He said, the presence of anxiety is unavoidable, but the prison of anxiety is optional. Whew. The presence is unavoidable, but the prison of anxiety is optional. The New Testament word for anxiety, though you don't spell it this way, but it sounds like a marina like a boat marina. The root word means to be divided. It means to be divided in your mind in 100 different directions. So think deeply here with me for a moment, okay? Think deeply. If God wants you focused on him and him alone, amen? Don't you think Satan's number one scheme would be to divide your mind? to get you thinking about all kinds of other things. What if this, what if that? Oh no, what about that, what about? And worry and get divided. This is where we are going in this series. So we have to approach looking at what God's word says. Each week for the next four weeks, we're gonna spend time in one passage. I'm gonna invite you at the end to memorize this passage. Not at the end of the series, like at the end of today. It's an easy passage to memorize. It's Philippians 4, 4 through 9. 
memorize that. We're in that passage of scripture for the next four weeks. Listen, if you're going to be anxious about anything, here's what you need to be anxious about. You ready for this? Here's what you need to be anxious about. You need to be anxious about missing a Sunday in this series. You don't want to miss a Sunday in this series. It's going to build, and we're going to stay in this passage every single week. So let's start today by just reading the entire passage, reading the entire passage, and I wonder if you would do what I love to ask you to do. I wonder if you would stand in honor of God's word. Philippians chapter 4, 4 through 9. Let's read it out loud together. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Be anxious for, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let's continue. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is, whatever is, whatever is, whatever is pure, whatever is, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, Put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Yeah, I love it. You can clap for the word of God. You should clap for the word of God way more than you clap for me. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from who? Paul. Where's Paul? He's in prison. He's about to be, or at least thought the threat was there, to be beheaded by Nero. And Paul says, be anxious for nothing. Father God, speak to us, we pray. Thank you for this series. I pray already in advance, God, that you anoint these next four weeks, God, that you use them powerfully in our lives, that we might learn to live in an anxious world, but not be anxious. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Here's where we're going to focus on today. Just got a nugget or two to, to get us going, and then we'll wrap up. Verse four, out loud with me again. Ready, go. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Come on, Paul, again. Why do you put it like that? And Paul, it's as if Paul is saying, rejoice in the Lord always. By the way, I know you're not gonna get it the first time, so I'm gonna say it again. I will say it again, rejoice. One of the key components of living a life with anxiety under control, notice I didn't say without anxiety, with anxiety under control is to learn, write it in, to celebrate. To celebrate. And some of you are like, I know, I mean, some of you are like skeptical and life's bad for you and you're tough. You're like, come on, man. You want me to like celebrate the fact that I might lose my job? You want me to celebrate that I might be sick? You want me to celebrate the last medical prognosis I got? Come on, pastor. What are you smoking? No, 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 no. Notice it says rejoice what? In the Lord. Rejoice what? 
in the Lord. Throw that verse back up there. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. So the key, you got to get this in your mind. The key is to celebrate in the Lord. The key is to make it a lifestyle of celebrating and rejoicing in the Lord. Our marriage might be crumbling, but I can still celebrate in the Lord. I might be sick, but I can still celebrate in the Lord. I might be worried about my kids, but I can still celebrate in the Lord. The key principle here is that belief precedes behavior. Belief precedes behavior. What you believe, what you celebrate specifically about God determines how you behave and how you deal with anxiety. How many of you, when you, were, when you had little kids, or maybe some of you have little kids now, you've done this. You remember when you're in the swimming pool and you're trying to teach the kid to jump in the pool? Remember that? And the kid would be on the edge. And I know with mine, I'm like, I had a girl, my first girl. I only had one girl. It was all boys after that. Oh, God help me. Um, well, Anna Grace, and I, she was on the edge of the pool. And I'm like, come on, honey, baby, sweet, sweetie. Jump in, daddy's, jump, baby. Come on, come on. Jump. I, daddy loves you. I got you. Come on, baby. Jump, 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 jump. And, and she would get to the edge. And, she, and all my kids did this, right? And, and, and before long, now some of you are far holier than me. Before long, the sweet little, come here, baby, come on, turns into, dad, go me jump in the pool. Am I the only one? Get in the pool, Anna Grace! Amy Lynn's over there going, honey, please chill out. Don't tell me to chill out. Anna Grace, get in the pool! Have you? <laughs> See, you'll leave today feeling better about yourself. See? See? <laughs> have, you ever, have, you ever, have you ever wondered why that we, we reach a point where we get mad? I, I hadn't thought about this till this week as I was getting ready for this message. The reason we start to get frustrated and mad is because our child doesn't trust us enough to jump. Go ahead. It's a matter of celebrating who God is and trusting him even when life is hard. You learn, this is a mark of spiritual maturity. You, you, you learn to trust him. The first thing you do to change your response to anxiety is celebrate what's true about God. It's the first thing you do. Not necessarily celebrate the circumstances that you're in. You celebrate what's true about God. And embedded within these first two verses are two things that Paul says to celebrate, believe about God that will help you stomp down anxiety in your life. And I'm going to give you both of them and then we're done. Four weeks might not be enough for this series. <laughs> Peace is found between the pillars of trusting God's goodness and control. So I asked, I asked her, can we get a couple pillars on the stage? And we went hard for Christmas and that would have been a lot of work, right? So then we're like, well, let's just make it out of, out of our lights. Peace comes from planting yourself between the pillars of God's goodness and God's control. This is the place where you have to learn to live 
to decrease and dare I say even eliminate at times anxiety in your life. It's right here, church, right between the fact that God is good and God is in control. That is where you learn to live with peace. The word Lord, remember rejoice what? Rejoice what? In the, the word Lord actually means owner or it means master. It means the one who is in charge, the one who is in control. Listen, oh, oh if I could walk you through my learning curve here. <laughs> Control has a massive link with anxiety. When we get anxious, it is often because we feel out of control. Come on now. Study after study confirms the link between anxiety and control. Very, very key. When you're in control or you think you're in control, your anxiety might go down, but I got news for you. And this is why the anxiety comes up for a lot of you. The truth is, you're not in control. The truth is, I'm not in control, even though we might like to be in control. Have you discovered yet that you can't control everything? Spouses. Can you control your spouse? Women. Can you control your man? Men, <laughs> can you control your wife? And have you discovered that the more you try to control him or her, the more they're gonna rebel against you? Anxiety increases as perceived control decreases. But notice I said perceived control. Some of the most anxious people in all of the world are control freaks. We recognize this and we actually start to realize that God is really the only one in control. The Bible says this in Isaiah 26, three. Come on, will you read it out loud with me? Isaiah 26, three, go. You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. You will keep in what? All who what? Trust in him. All whose thoughts, I love how the old King Jimmy says it, whose thoughts are fixed on thee. Come on now. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Listen, Paul is trying to help us understand this, and I'm gonna wrap up. What you are anxious about the most, oh my Lord, this, this, this will give you something to go home and think about. What you are anxious about the most reveals where you trust God the least. Talked about money a little bit earlier when I was setting up the offering here at the Durham campus. The reason so many of us are anxious about money is because we trust God the least there. The, the reason so many of us are anxious about our children because we don't trust God with our children. Hey, do you, do you know that God loves your children more than you do? For years, my staff will tell you this, for years, they'd get emails from me at three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> for years, man, I woke up at three o'clock every morning anxious. 
Something happened in me when I realized one day, and most, most of my anxiety, like most of my anxiety has always been New Hope related. Something powerful happened in me the day that I realized God loves this church more than I do. So you have to learn to, to, to relinquish control. I put it like this. To help with our anxiety, God challenges us. Rather than seek control, God invites you to relinquish it to him. To help with our anxiety, God challenges you. He's challenging me today. This is, the, this is the first thing. Rather than seek control, relinquish it to God and firmly plant yourself between these two pillars of God's goodness and the fact that God is in control. Hey, indulge me for a moment. Raise your right hand. Raise your right hand. Come on, all of our campuses. Come on, come on. Repeat after me. I hereby... Relinquish control of the universe. <laughs> you never had control of it anyway. When things are bad, you trust that God is in control. When things are bad, you trust that God is good. And by the way, just moment of confession. I, I, I tend to really do well with the fact that God is good. Can I confess something to you? Sometimes I struggle with whether God is in control in this world because it seems so out of control. Am I the only one? And it's in those moments where God encourages me and coaches me, oh, he's in control. We just often don't see the whole picture. And we often just look at, at time-bound goodness when in reality, you can't even envision a God who's in control unless you keep eternity in the forefront. That even when this world seems out of control, God's in control. Even when it looks like bad is going to win, God will have the last say. This book says in the end that God wins and God's people win. In the end, it will be good for those who love God in Christ Jesus. Let's end with a verse. Romans 8, 28. Ready? Romans 8, 28. Ready? Go. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love God him. You want to see anxiety start to evaporate in your life. Plant yourself between the two pillars of God's goodness and God is in control. And then take your white knuckles off of things and realize I can't control half of what I think I can, but I know someone who can. And as long as I'm with him and as long as I'm walking with him, it will be good. Father, we love you today. We thank you for your word. We thank you for installment one of anxious for nothing. Oh God, pour out your spirit upon us. Help us apply this today. Help us apply this, God. Two things. Help us, help us memorize Philippians 4, 4 through 9. I mean, literally study it, God, and memorize it every day and quote it. What a great New Year goal. I pray that every single person at every single campus will memorize this, these verses thoroughly, God, 
and quote them regularly when anxiety increases. And secondly, oh God, I pray that as a movement, we would learn to plant ourselves between the two pillars of truth. You are good and you are in control. We pray it all in the name of Jesus. And all of God's people said, amen, amen and amen and amen.